Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in and we hope you enjoy this bonus episode number seven of the Put This Rest Down podcast. We have a good sit down with Carmen and we just talk about a lot of the things that are going on, talk about mental health and we just talk about masculinity and how we're trying to break that stigma and, and let people know that, you know, feelings, emotions, they don't, there's no gender specific, you know, emotions or mental health. It's uh, something that affects us all. So we just thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoy this episode after a quick word from our sponsor, and we'll see you on the back end. Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. Who made these rules? Who made these rules? We're so confused. We're so confused. Easily led astray. Let me tell you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Put the Stress Down podcast. I got to tell you, the one thing I love about having all these different guests and giving them all their own songs is that they pick out some bangers. I haven't heard that one in a long time. So I'm excited, you guys. I hope you're all doing good. Um, we have a first time podcaster on the show. But not only that, this is the very first female guest on the show. So with that, I would like yeah. to welcome Carmen to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I was actually going to ask you if I was your first female on the podcast. You are, yeah, first female. So it's a big platform for you. You know what I mean? First time, first female. You're a a pioneer, dare I say. I mean, I'm going to (laughs) try. When you, when you know, yeah. And and when I was thinking about a song that would really reflect on this moment, I really had to think about it. And I had so many choices. I'm a Gemini, so that was already too much for me. So Lauren Hill, I just feel like it's so appropriate for what's happening right now. And, you know, at, at that time, she was such a strong voice. I remember in the 90s, like hearing her and always feeling like she was saying exactly how I felt about things. So thank yeah. you so much for having me, for of, giving me this platform. I really appreciate it. Of course, of course. And, um, you know, we did some, obviously we do some pre-show interviews and things like that before before we get going. So I was uh, very, you know, happy because you never know, you know, you ask people, when you're doing something like this, you know, even though people are eager and happy to do it, you still feel like, oh, I'm putting somebody out. You know what I mean? So you were very about it right off the jump. So I appreciate that. And this is, you know, to kind of break the fourth wall, uh, this is the second time we're supposed to be doing this because the first time you weren't able to make it. Now, before everybody ethers you, I'm not here to shame you. I'm just here to say no. that you were kind <laughs> of in a situation where you said I could, ki- I might be able to do it, but I want to make sure that I'm not rushed and I really can dedicate myself to it. So that's why we moved it. So, you know, I just want to say thank you for that because it does mean a lot to me that you understand what we're doing and that it isn't just some little side project. No, I really, I think it's important to show up and be present because I really think that the conversations you're having with everybody and really just telling your story is so important because it saves lives. Um, in our community, you know, I could speak for myself in the Latino community. We don't speak about mental health enough. And I've worked for a mental health organization for over 12 years now, going on my 13th year. And I, um, I feel like it saved my life in many ways. So I think this is a really important conversation. And so last week I had to manage some work stuff that I wanted to make sure that I came into this conversation in the right space. So thank you for your flexibility. I appreciate it. 
Yeah, of course, always, because, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's about helping other people. You know what I mean? So we I'm open, you know what I mean? And I tell people that all the time. If you if you if the only time you have is 2 a.m., then that's what I'll do. You know what I mean? Because to me, it's a small price to pay and the return on investment is great. You know, so just let everybody know where you're from, kind of what uh, where you grew up, what city you grew up in and what your family situation was like. You know, did you have both parents, one parent, you know? A lot of us all have different stories, so just kind of break it down. Sure. Um, so I'm I'm one of nine. I'm the third oldest of nine children. My parents were married until I was seven, and so I call it the first batch and the second batch. So the first batch was <laughs> nice. five kids. Yeah, the first batch was five kids. I was the third oldest of the five kids. And then when my mom remarried to my stepdad, then they had four kids. And so we grew up, I want to say we grew up in L.A., but the place that I really, you know, throughout L.A., we had bouts in Hollywood, we had bouts in different parts of the city, um, but mainly in South L.A. And I, when I say South L.A., it makes me laugh because I grew up calling it South Central, but everybody's like, what's South Central? Oh, South L.A. It's so L.A. of us now yeah. that we changed its name. But I grew up in South Central in the 90s, in the 80s and 90s. Um, and that was a really important time to be growing up in South Central LA. And so to be, you know, I was first generation Mexican-American. My mom actually came to the States when she was 15 from TJ. And so she's actually been here her entire life, but still very much, you know, talks about the motherland, which I think is so funny. <laughs> um, my, it's so funny. Um, so my parents were, as I mentioned, married until I was seven and then, um, so they split up. They had a pretty turbulent relationship. They had a pretty significant domestic violence relationship. My father had a very traumatic childhood. Both of his parents were killed in Mexico, and he was raised by an aunt and uncle um, that weren't equipped to have him. And so he grew up with a lot of trauma. And then as a result of it, um, he was an addict, a pretty severe addict. And so there was a lot of domestic violence in our home. And it was a really, it was very difficult. I remember being seven and when I realized that they were splitting up, I remember being thankful that they were going to be done, um, which is kind of crazy. Um, looking back at it now and think, when I think about my childhood and I think about how relieved I was and not having words back then, right? When you're little, you don't know how to articulate that what you're seeing and what you're experiencing is terrifying. Um, so I grew up in a home that was very much, it was very traditional. The women did everything for the men. Um, my mom was also very modest, so we had to be very, you know, we had to make sure that what we put out into the world was always like a very modest, you know, girl, a very nice girl, you know, you're not too loud, you don't make sure that you're wearing the right outfits that are covering your body. Um, so it was very, it was a very interesting time to grow up, um, in my home, um, during that time. I also... When I was 12, my, my mom decided that I would be the first kid to, to get bused to school. Mm, so yeah. my, my, two older, my two older siblings went to elementary. Well, we all went to elementary school in South L.A., but when it got to middle school, my older sister had all these issues at middle school because it was kind of crazy. Because middle school is, right? A bunch of middle school kids and their hormones. Oh, and you're just angsty I, and full of rage at absolutely nothing. You know what I mean? Now the, we know. But at the time, it's like, why is life so hard? And you have an entire middle school of that. 
Exactly, right? So it was the 80s. It was South LA. And it was all these kids that were dealing with the same situations in their homes. But we, and you turn on each other. You don't know that what you're dealing with is, is a bigger issue. You know, it's a systemic issue, not the issue that you're having with your neighbor. And so my mom had just had it. And so she, by the time I, it was my turn to go to middle school, I got bus. So you get some pamphlet in the mail, you check it off, and then you get a little bus pass, and the bus picks you up. And so I was bused about 30 miles north of, of South L.A. into the valley, the San Fernando Valley. And it was the first time I had seen a white person in person, like face-to-face. Right. Prior to that, prior to that, it was just on TV, right? Right, right, right. It was more of a myth. Yeah, exactly. So I would get bused with, so half of the bus was Latino, and then half of the bus was black. And so that's who I went to school with and came back from school with. But when we were in school, we were mixed into, because that was LAUS. It's fascinating because looking back now, it was what they were doing to diversify schools. And I guess what, what, what they were really doing was trying to desegregate schools, right? Not to have all the poor kids in one community. Right. Because they thought that if they bust them, then they would have different options. And the pamphlet, I think, was even called Options, which was really fascinating that that's how they spun the whole thing. So we moved. So anyway, I got on the bus. I came to school in the Valley. And that really changed my life because then I was exposed to different ways of doing things and different ways that people lived. And not just white people. It was also like the Latinos in the Valley were very different than the Latinos in South L.A. For sure. Yeah, definitely. You know, the Latinos in San Fernando were like third generation Mexican-American families. Like they could, you know, trace their heritage back hundreds of years. And that was different than the story I had. So it was, and and also I'm a light-skinned Latina. And so they couldn't quite put me in a box. They didn't know if I was Mexican or if I was white. And so then I I also, you know, think, thinking back, I really benefited from that like the privilege of having light skin without knowing of it course. certainly didn't you know it certainly didn't feel privileged when you know when I went to bed at night there was somebody walking on our you know our our, our roof because he was escaping the helicopter you know he had you know there was something going on in our community and there was a guy I remember this vividly one night we were going to bed we lived in a one bedroom home so at the time it would have been seven kids in a one bedroom bungalow across the street from what is called the Harvard, it's called Harvard park, but it's down the street from Sloss and Swap Meet, the infamous Sloss and Swap Meet. <laughs> infamous. So we, so, so we lived about three blocks from the Sloss and Swap Meet. And so my, like my home life was very different than my school life. You know, so my school life, you walk, you, you get off the freeway and you see these expansive lots, these big homes, you know, fancy cars. People were different, living very differently than they were in my neighborhood. Right, right. Where it's, like, it's smaller, so- much smaller houses, less, not as nice to say the least. Uh, not one car in right. the driveway, sometimes five or six. Yep. You know, things like <laughs> some that. Some were broken. Yeah, yeah. Some were broken. Most of them, you know. Exactly. So it was just, it, it was a very, you know, I, I was in two different worlds. Yeah, so you so it, so it seems like you you were able to kind of see how things worked and you were able to figure that out kind of on your own, you know what I mean, just by chance by you going to school and being mixed in with the other kids and stuff, but what was it like at home for instance when it came to things like politics and race, 
you know, were those, did your parents sit you down and, and break that down for you? Or was, did you just figure it out that like, Hey, I, I'm not being treated as, as the same as, you know, the blonde haired, blue eyed people. You know, I actually never felt like I wasn't treated like the, the blonde haired, blue eyed people. I never knew because I always, so the Latino community is very, like, I'm going to say some controversial, controversial shit right now, but <laughs> you know, within, within the Latino community, there's a lot of, there's a lot of colorism and, and, you know, and racism. Yeah. If you're light skinned, then you become the golden child. If you're darker, like they love you, but they make comments about your dark skin. Yeah. And then there's nicknames that are used to denote different types of shades. And so within my family, I always felt like a chosen one. I never knew why, but I never had an issue with, if I wanted something done and not because I, I would throw a fit, but typically like my mom would, would, would give me whatever I wanted. Whereas if you ask my siblings now, they would probably say, no, she only did that because you know, you were her favorite or whatever. And I don't think I was her favorite because I was lighter. There were so many other things that I don't think we have enough time to talk about, but <laughs> you know, but, but, but in terms of, you know, going back to your question about race and, and if there was a sit down, no, there was never a sit down. Um, it was, it was what it was. Um, and what I know now versus what I experienced then, now that I have the words for it, it's interesting to reflect on it. But back then you, you were a Mexican and that's what you were. So now current day, when I see posts about like, why do you have to call out that you're Brown? Why can't you just be an American? Because I, we never had that option when you're living in, you know, in a, an impoverished community there's so many things that are stacked against you. And there's so many times that you are told what you are. So whether that be by the police, whether that be by your neighbor, whether that be by the, you know, at, at school, somebody is calling it out. That's, that's how they, they speak about you. And not in a, a negative way necessarily, because it's not always negative, right? It's, Oh, right, no. do you know where Carmen, you know, do you know where Carmen is? Oh, you know, she's the short Mexican girl. And so it was, it, that was always kind of something that was tied to my identity. So I always knew I was Mexican. That was not a thing. And, uh, and we all, our community was probably half Latino and of the Latino, it was probably mostly Mexican, a little bit Salvadorian and a sprinkle of Guatemalan in our community. And the rest was, as I said, Mexican and black. And there was always this tension, right? There was always this yeah, tension definitely. between the Latinos and the African Americans and our, and the black people in our community. And, um, and so we never talked about it though. We never talked about it. It was just the way things were. Right. And I imagine that if you asked, you know, like the friends that I went to, um, you know, to middle school and elementary school with, they probably would tell a similar story about, no, oh, we just knew that we lived with the Mexicans, right? That's just how things were. And the Mexicans were like this and the blacks were like this, but, people didn't really spend a lot of time talking about it because you're in survival mode. If you don't know how you're going to pay your rent, if you don't know if you're going to have a, a job. And in our case, if, you know, if my mom's husband, you know, was going to, if, if something was going on with him and he was stressed out with work, was he going to come home and was that going to be a big thing? So we didn't have the luxury to, to think about things like that or talk about things like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was going to be my next question was when it came to things like emotion, you know, and, and like you said, the things that you went through at a very young age with the divorce and everything you, I always say, you know, we're all just a bunch of kids that had, that were forced to grow up too fast. You know what I mean? I, I really, 
believe that. So when when it came to things like emotion in your home and you were feeling, you know, some type of way, were were you able to express that to your parents or did you just kind of bottle it up or how did you deal with that? How was that handled in your home when you were growing up? Um, so I came from a home where there was a lot of emotions, but there were never clear emotions. You never knew that if your mom was yelling, what she was actually yelling about. So my mom was a big yeller, but you didn't know if she was yelling because you needed to bring some, like bring her a glass of water or if she was upset. Right. There was no in between. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. So I know exactly what yeah. you mean. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a very confusing time. So I, I've always been very vocal about things. Um, I think back to playing school with my, my siblings and I would always get assigned. If we played school, I was always the principal, which looking back, it's so funny that that's my job, that that was my job, you know? So I feel like I always had this, like I always used my voice, but it wasn't accepted. So in my home, it was not okay for me to speak up about things. It was the way it was and that's it. And if I didn't like it, then I could find somewhere else to live. And it didn't matter if I was 12 when I had the complaint or if I was 17 or if I was 20. It was the same answer, like put up or get out, basically. And it wasn't, it wasn't as, you know, she wasn't throwing things at us. And I say she a lot because my stepdad worked, he was a truck driver, so he was gone for months on end. Sometimes he was, he worked production, so he'd be gone. And it was just my mom and all the kids. And, you know, we were all left to our own vices, so... Um, in terms of talking about our emotions, um, I, I broke up with my high school sweetheart and I was crying in my bedroom one day and my mom walked in and she was annoyed that I was crying. I remember her rolling her eyes and going, what's wrong with you? I said, well, this happened with, you know, with Robert. And she was like, well, this is not going to matter in 10 years. And I remember just thinking how horrible that was, that w- what she was saying, but also knowing that in 10 years it wasn't going to matter. Right. And so I needed to stop crying. There's, there's a thing in the, especially, I, I can't speak for all Latinos, but at least in a, you know, being raised by a, Mex- a very strong Mexican mother, you couldn't cry. She, you would get shamed for crying. Yeah. And so I'd there was not, to, yeah, so, it was, it, it's a different, uh, yeah, it's a, it was a different culture, especially as a boy. You know what I mean? You were the, you oh, were, I, it was, you know, you get upset when, when, you know, I would get in trouble, not in trouble. I mean, you know, my, it wasn't like in a super crazy negative thing, but you know, my dad would like, okay, it's time to wrap it up. You know what I mean? When I'm like, but I'm still yeah. sad. You know what I mean? Right. Right. There was a time lapse on yeah. how long you could be upset for. Right. Yeah. And so that's, that's basically how we dealt with our emotions. It was either, it was big or nothing. It's go big or go, go home. So if I was going to cry, I better make it for a good, it better be for a good reason. Right. And it, was, it and it was definitely if, was, you know, cry and get it out. And when you're ready, you know what I mean? Yes. Wash your face and, and come out. You know what I mean? It, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, as compassionate or, or, you know, as I would have liked as a child, you know what I mean? And right. again, that's not, that's needed. not a knock right. on my father because he's a great man, you know, and he, and he did a great job raising me, but I'm just saying, you know, I'm just speaking on it. Like as a child, I would have rather had, you know, the ease on back as opposed to the, Hey, wash your face and get back out there. Yeah, because there was a feeling of, like, get it together, right? Yeah. Like, okay, okay, you cried, I gave you your space, now get it together. And that, that was definitely the feeling that I had growing up. And, and when my mom had to care after so many children, she her patience was low. So if she felt like whatever I was crying about didn't warrant a cry, then there was no space for it. 
Right. I just had to get it together and move on. And so that's how we were raised. And she raised nine children like that. And so, and all of us, you know, cause every child has a different need. Everybody has their own special sparkle. And so when you're using the same model of parenting on every single child, you know, you get different results with, with each one. And so for me, that didn't work. Right. Um, but I didn't know what the lasting impacts of that was coupled with, you know, already what we had going on in our community and, and what we were dealing with. Right. Of course. In terms and, of safety. Yeah. Yeah. So what, so now we flipped the situation and now you find yourself in that, you know, driver's seat and you're, you're a mom now. So what's it like, you know, what did you take from your childhood that you've adapted for, you know, your current situation when it comes to your children and, and their emotions and, and, you know, the things they feel? Well, you know, I'm, I'm so glad you're asking me that question because I, I think one of the most important things that you're doing through your podcast is shedding a light on like males talking about their emotions openly. Yes. Um, so when I was going, so the second oldest is a boy and I always felt like he really could have benefited from somebody hugging him a lot and telling him that things were going to be okay. And because that didn't happen and what he saw instead was my parents engage in a very severe domestic violence relationship and it's all cyclical, right? It's all a cycle Yeah. because the only thing that breaks cycles is education because when you know better, you do better. And so we didn't know better. And so what he knew was what he saw. And so he turned his, all his angst and all the emotions he had about my fam, like our family, he turned on me. And so he and I met like throughout my childhood would get into pretty significant fights. And so as you know, what I, what I walked so now I, I have a son and a daughter. I have, my son is old. My son is the oldest. He's 10 years old. And, um, and I work for a nonprofit that provides social services, um, to marginalized communities and communities that have really significant mental health needs and a lot of trauma. And we all have trauma, right? Yes, Every, like, absolutely. We, we all have a story to tell. So when I became a parent and when I was on that driver's seat, what, what was most important to me was to raise a man that could talk about how he feels about things so that he didn't have the same story as my brother because my brother deserved better and my mother did the best she could. And my father certainly had very limited tools. And so because of their cycle that impacted me. And so now I felt like, okay, I have to make sure that my son is able to speak up when he feels something about things. And I, ironically, I have a very sensitive son and and also my experience with young boys, I feel like boys are sensitive. Oh yeah. When you they're better little. It. Yeah. You better believe you it. Know, I, I was need... very sensitive from the time I was a child to now. I knew it then and I know it now. You know what I mean? I'm still the same. Like, yeah, I'm just going to tell you, I can dish it, but I can't take it. You know what I mean? Like that's who I am. That's who I am. I want to make fun of you. I want to have fun, but please don't make fun of me because it really hurts For my feelings. Sure. You know what I mean? You know, so I grew up with five brothers, right? So I always had a very like, uh, boyish kind of way of dealing with like boys in like as I grew up and I remember many conversations with boys where they told me can you stop making fun of me now <laughs> and me being surprised like really dude yeah like come on you're a man um so that's one of the things that I think that I've close like I've held on to the most um initially with my with my son is really to give him the words to describe his feelings because regardless you know of what the world turns 
you know, throws at you because it's, you know, life happens. You have to be able to cope. And so many years and a lot of money invested in therapy made me realize that it was, I had limited, a limited ability to speak. I, I couldn't set limits with people around me because my mom didn't teach me how to tell others how to treat me. Right. And so because of it, different situations came up. Right. And so I, I, so my legacy are my children. And so me teaching my son how to speak up for himself and others, and for my daughter, for her to assert herself and say what she's okay with and what she's not okay with, even though she's seven, she's going to be quick to tell you, Hey, that no, I don't think that's a good idea. And I'm proud of that. And so, you know, once I got into the driver's seat, I think the biggest thing was to teach them the words that came with the, with the emotions. Yeah. And to be able, you know, to speak on those. And I'm the same way. I mean, I, I think I saw my dad cry. If, if I'm being honest that I can remember two times in my entire life yeah. and that was it. Yeah. And when you, you can talk to my kids, they've seen me cry at least a dozen times. You know what I mean? At least because a, that is how I was feeling in those moments. And B, they need to know that it's okay to feel that way. And they need to know that, you know, yes, I'm dad. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm the guy I'm in charge, but you know, sometimes I hurt and they need to see that that's okay. You know, they need to see that tears can stream down your face and, and that these are things that make us human and things that are not to be ashamed of. And, you know, it upsets me, you know, to think about, you know, anybody, first of all, anybody talking down or, or you know, making fun of or mistreating anybody upsets me, you know, but when, especially when it comes to emotion and the things that people go through and how fragile we all are, that's like my hot button. You know what I mean? Like don't ever make fun of anybody for, you know, being in tune with their emotions. For sure. Right. And, and, and especially because it takes so much courage. Yeah. It takes so much courage to speak up and say like, Hey, that made me feel like shit. Like how many friendships have we lost because somebody didn't feel like being honest about something right? because they didn't know how to speak about it, you know, or how many situations have we found ourselves in because we just couldn't articulate, Hey, you hit, you struck a nerve that, that, that upset me because this is what it means for me. Yeah. And, and it's, and so you know, to, it's, it's so rare to, for, to have a conversation with someone that can clearly express that to you in a way that's not combative in a way that's not attacking you, but just to openly say, Hey, this is exactly what I'm feeling. Now you and I are at a place probably where we can do that, but there's billions and billions of other people that are not there. No, there's so much work that needs to be done because there's so much, well, you know, I'm, I, I always go back to education and not form because I don't think formal education is the answer to everything. Right. So I, I think it's just about knowing better. And so it wasn't until I knew what, how those situations affected me that I was able to speak to them. Right. You and know, when, there when were, I came, when I, you know, faced my diagnosis with right. PTSD, it yeah. wasn't until I accepted that until I, then uh, I was able to say, okay, that's the problem. Now, how do I fix it? How do I attack it? How do I solve it? You know, and, and, that, and that was the breaking point when I accepted, you know what I mean? What I had to accept. Absolutely. And it wasn't until, you know, I, I, when I, when I got out of college, I, I spiraled into a pretty bad depression and I didn't know that that's what it was. 
um, for whatever reason, I ended up going to a therapist. I don't even know how, you know, because it's God's plan. For me, I feel like it's always God's plan. So I ended up in therapy. And I remember her having to put a code so that my insurance could pay for it. And what she wrote down was anxiety. And I had never heard that word before. And I was 20, you know, I was 23 years old. And I had never heard what, like, anxiety, what the hell? She was like, well, I just have to use this, like, I have to use the diagnosis. And I think what she was trying to do was be very gentle with me, like, telling me that I had really bad anxiety. But, you know, children that that witness domestic violence, and I, and just to give you an idea, um, on one occasion, my father, who was an alcoholic, beat my mother so badly that we, she, she, he like, I, I must've jumped in the middle of it. And I probably was four years old. I, and I remember this vividly and I jumped in the middle of the fight so that he wouldn't hurt her. And he threw me against the wall. Luckily he I wasn't hurt. Um, but she decided to leave the house that day and she took me with her because she didn't want me to get hurt because I had already tried to like defend her. Right. And so, and my mom didn't drive. Um, so we had to get on a bus. And when we got on the bus, Every single, well, first of all, when we were sitting on a bus stop, somebody pulled over and asked us if we needed a ride because she was, her face was bleeding. Like there was blood everywhere. And she was, she still is this woman, right? Like very proud and was like, no, we're fine. She didn't even turn to look at him. She was acting like her face wasn't full of blood. And we got on the bus. We got on, you know, the, the, the RTV and we got when we went to my aunt's house and we, my aunt was having an event and we walked in with my mom's cause he had scratched her face and her face was dripping with blood. And so when you as a child experience, when you witness things like that, you know, a lot, a lot of the, the kids in my neighborhood, I'm sure, you know, if they diagnosed us, we would have had PTSD. And one of the, you know, symptoms of that is anxiety. Yes. And so I've had anxiety probably for, it probably started coming up mostly for me in my twenties, my early twenties. And throughout my life, it's gotten more debilitating than others. Um, I start now as I've gotten older, I start to realize what are my kind of flags? Like, Oh, this is one of my triggers. Right. Now I, why I'm feeling this way. Um, but, but at the time I didn't know what that even was when she said anxiety. I was like, what the heck is she talking about? Right. Um, and I, know that I was on, you know, my first steps of this long journey, um, through like my mental health journey and really just like knowing and owning my story. Like what you talk about when you got your diagnosis, right. And how you had to accept that. Yeah. And you that have was to that. accept it. And, and the hard part is, you know, if you do go home and say, Hey, Hey, Hey mom and dad, this, you know, I've been diagnosed with anxiety in our culture. It's typically like, okay, well that's, that's not a real thing. It's just some doctor. They're just trying to make money. Like, don't yep. even worry about it. You know what I mean? That That's a very real yeah. thing. You know what I mean? That that happened, yeah. you know, growing up. And, and so the, it got discounted, you know what I mean? A lot of the times. And, and that's another thing that, you know, I'm trying to break, that I'm trying to fix is that, you know, these things are real. You know what I mean? And for people that don't understand what it's like, you know, break it down. You know, tell people what it's like for you when you have an anxiety attack and you feel a trigger and you're at work on a Tuesday afternoon and everything's fine and everything's great. And all of a sudden everything's not, what is that like for you? Well, so for me, it starts like, like something's really heavy on my chest. Well, this is how I experience it now. 
it's I'll wake up. It's usually I wake up feeling this way and it's typically triggered. Like if I wake up feeling this way, it's something that happened the night before. And so um, I work for this nonprofit organization, as I mentioned, right? And then the COVID-19, you know, all the pandemic stuff happened and I'm, I'm part of a leadership team that's, that's expected to have all the answers for all the people. And I don't have all the answers. And I also have my story, right? And my trauma and my family. And so when everything went down with, you know, the pandemic in early March, my house flooded. And so we had to, we had to move out. So my kids had no school, right? So their school ended, they went to distance learning, but that was all kind of, you know, they were figuring it out as they were going along with it. So my kids stopped seeing all their friends, no more sports. My kids are very active, no more sports. And now we had to move them to a different neighborhood different house, different everything. So I was dealing with that. I was dealing with construction in my house because they had to basically like ground up. They had to fix a bunch of stuff. Which is not and free, I'm also, guessing. No, right. And then on top of that, having to be part of this leadership team that comes up with all the answers for other people because it's human lives we're dealing with, not just the families that are receiving services, Correct. but the staff that are working there, Yeah, you know? And, and being very mindful of, you know, this is a very stressful time. So you know, for me, and then on, t- and then the cherry on the cake was when all the civil unrest stuff started happening, and all the police br- brutality, protests, and you know, and 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 just you know, the, the the organization that I work for provides services to the Black and Brown community. So now we now we are at a place where we there's no not that anybody wants to hide from it at all, and no, you know, and it, that wasn't certainly our experience, but it was you have to take a stance, and you're pushing this train from a pandemic. So it's already pulling all this weight. Yeah. And now you have to like get more resources or more power to push a little bit more because you want to make sure that everybody's okay and it's feeling seen because this moment is really important. And so, you know, I, there's been moments where I get in my car and on my way to work, I'm crying. There's other moments where my anxiety is so bad that I don't know how the heck I'm going to make it to work or should I just call out? Can I just stay home? But then I talk myself through like, well, if you stay home, cause I'm also very logical. If I stay home, then this has to happen and this has to happen. And so my anxiety present day, how I experience it is uh, it's as if somebody is resting on my chest and won't let me breathe. And then it triggers my, my narrative because one thing hits the other, right? Correct. And it's so it just starts an with like Exactly. So it's like a spiral of events. So um, it's the heaviness of the chest. And then I start to think about like the story I'm telling myself. And if, if, you know, for me, I tell myself like, you're not doing the right thing. Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Yep. I have very, you know, I, I'm, I'm my biggest critic because everybody is their own biggest critic. And so I go down that slippery slope of telling myself that I should have done better. And that doesn't help my anxiety. And at some, and in some cases it triggers even depression, like bouts of depression, right? Like I can't do anything right. And so then anxiety then transforms into depression. And so for me, it was really about, um, so recently I, you know, with everything that happened with, um, Greg Floyd, I felt I, I, everybody feels so strongly about this moment, me included. 
And there was a moment last week, and I think this is when I, I, I asked to push our, our conversation to this week, yeah. where I was like, I, I'm not okay. Right. I'm not okay. Yeah. I don't feel okay. I feel like I'm either going to cry or start a fight. Yeah. And that's, and that, and even though that might've been me in like my late teens and early twenties, that's not me now. And so I decided to take a pause, just stop everything you're doing. And so I stopped everything. I stayed home the entire week. Um, today's the first day I really kind of like, okay, let me clean the house. Let me do something, you know? Yeah. Um, because this is when I was feeling up to it, but you know, that's, that's kind of, but it's taken a lot of therapy for me to identify that this is the trigger and then this is the pattern that happens. And if I don't want to go down, you know, or go through all the domino effect of what that ha- of what happens to me, then I have to stop it before it gets there. And that really is self care. Like how do I take care of myself? Which is the hardest part because right. in my family, you weren't taught to take care, especially as a, like as a girl, you were taught to take care of everybody else. You don't eat until you serve everybody else. Yeah. And so that becomes very ingrained in you. And so self-care has, you know, it's counterintuitive in, in some ways. So I really have to fight against that instinct to do things for others and really just stop and take care of myself. Right. And, you know, you share these stories and you talk, talk about how you feel and, you know, these heavy, heavy things that are going on. And, you know, again, this isn't, oh, this is going to happen on a Friday afternoon and you're going to be good. You'll have the weekend to recover. No, no, this is Monday morning, 8.15. And, you know, you walk through the door and you're smiling and you're telling your coworkers good morning and asking them about their weekend. And inside, you're fucking dying. And it's not just you. It's so many other people. And that's why I always say we have to be gentle. We have to be compassionate. Am I some fucking hippie? Am I some sort of, no, I'm just saying facts. What it is, is that we're all going through some heavy, heavy stuff, man. And, you know, aside from the COVID, aside from this and that, you know, we all, it's just a mixed bag of heavy shit, you know? So when this stuff did hit, when the brutality stuff came and I saw that, um, I actually saw it late because I was recording a podcast, funny enough. And then when I got home, my wife told me to turn on the TV and it was just, you know, it's sad because you're shocked, but it's more sad because you're like, can I really be shocked at this point? So, you know, for me, it's been, it's been really sad. You know what I mean? To see, just to see so much anger and so much hate on a large stage. So what's it been like for you mentally, you know, being a mother and wanting a bright future for your children, you know, you turn on the TV and, you know, I, I get the anger behind it. Like I said, you and I as adults understand what's going on, but they don't. So what's it been like for you to, to have them see that? And, and, you know, what's it just been like for you mentally to just go through it? Um, so I'll answer for myself first. Um, the pandemic stuff, I had gotten to kind of like cruise control. Like, okay, we got, like, it wasn't great, but we knew how to do that. Right. Because we had been doing it for 12 weeks, right? So you got, you kind of got used to the abnormal. It wasn't. Yeah. Because we're all creatures of habit. Right, and, and we're we're also very resilient. Yes, correct. right, and, and we you see it in children, but you fail to see it in adults. You know, when an adult loses a loved one, you know, for the most part, they get through it. It's always going to hurt. It's like a scar. It's always going to be there, but they get through it because they are like we are resilient human beings. Our brain 
can create new pathways when there's trauma. It's all in what you do with your brain, right? It's a beautiful, beautiful organ. So um, for me, the hardest thing has been to have such a, it's so polarizing, this situation. And what I mean by that is, so, I, so I'm a brown girl from South Central LA. That is who I am to the core. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you met me and you saw me, you wouldn't think that when you see me, right? Um, and so you might not think that I have these feelings about this situation. So when it happened, when all of this went down, I was devastated. I had, you know, but, but Black Lives Matter, it's not a new movement. This has been happening. This has been happening. This has been plaguing black and brown communities for a long time. Black communities longer than the brown communities here, right? right. And so, for me, you know, I, I survived the 92 riots. My, you know, the, the, the vendors at the Sloth and Swap Me, the shop owners were at the roof with machine guns trying to keep looters out. Yeah. My entire community went up in flames. The liquor store that I used to go to before school burned down. I saw it in TV, you know? So, so I, I also knew what that moment meant because I knew that I knew how upset my community was when this happened back in 92. So for me to see my city again in this state broke my heart at the fact that no one listened, no one listened. And here we are again. And so as a parent, so I, so my husband is white and I have, two bicultural children that are half white and half black and have Mexican, obviously. And to the world, they look like white children. They have blonde hair, they have colored eyes. And so I didn't expect to feel the way that I feel about what do I tell my white children at a time where it's so important to talk about white privilege and privilege in general. Cause for me, I feel like I benefited from privilege and I'm not white. Right you know, just because of the color of my skin, which I had no control over, but here I am, right? I didn't even know it was a thing, but I recognize that. I recognize that my situation and how the the opportunities that I had were different than my sister's, who looks very different than I do. So now I have these children that are white and I'm having to explain these things, these concepts that are so important to me because I'm this, I'm this Mexican girl from South Central LA. And I can't have kids, little white kids, walking out in the world and not knowing where they come from, you know? So for me, that's when things got really dark because there's so many messages. And, and let me just say this. For me, this moment is about recognition and acknowledgement. For all, for all like, my, my son was asking, he mentioned something like, well, why, why did people burn down you know, businesses. And I said, well, remember how sister, when she was so upset on her birthday, she tore down her streamers. He's like, yeah. He's like, you were so upset about that. I said, I know I was, but you know why she was so upset that she tore down her streamers? He's like, why? Because she kept telling us that she wanted us to spend time with her. She wanted daddy to spend time with her and she, and no one heard her. And so when you're not heard, you have to find different ways to get heard. And that's what she did. She tore down the streamer. So that's no different than what, what the people in these communities did because they got so tired of telling everybody the same thing. So it was their version of tearing down the streamers. 
Man, and yeah, and that's, so I that's, have, that's a good way to break it down. You know what I mean? That's it. And, and I hope that, you know, speaks to some other people as well, because I, I've been kind of in the same school of thought where, you know, at first I was very upset I'm, because, you know, your initial instinct is, hey, people work hard for that shit. I know what it's like to work hard. You know what the fuck is wrong yeah, with you? But then sure. as the days went on and I had these conversations with people and I began to open my eyes more and take even more of a step back, I then, you know, again, I don't support it. I don't believe in it. But I have to understand where it came from. You know, I really do. And frankly, I think that that's what this moment is about, is to have a deeper understanding and to create the space where we can have conversations. And for me, that sense of responsibility starts with my kids. So if my parents knew better, they would have done better with us. But they didn't. You know, I'm one of nine, like I mentioned. And probably most of us have some kind of mental health need or another. You know, yeah. none of them would none of them would admit it. No, Actually, and that's maybe, another thing. Maybe, that, that... maybe maybe two of them would admit it, but you know. Yeah. But <laughs> but I feel like I have to speak my truth in this moment, and you know, I I always come from a place of love and compassion because that's who I am. That's how I was. That's how you know the irony in all this is that when you know in in my neighborhood in 1992 when there was so much tension between the Latinos. And the black people that live there, it's a resource issue. It was a resource issue, right? Um, because there's only so much. In the poor communities, there's only so much to go around. And so whoever moves in is going to take more of that pie, right? And so that tension is really about resources. As I, I, That's how I see it. And so as I grew older, not even older, um, that when I got bus, there was a, a family. So my mom, the first maybe the first week she would drop me off at the bus stop and wait with me. After that, she just let me walk to the bus stop because it was about two blocks down. There was this family, there was a black family that would drop off their daughter to get on the bus and her and I were in the same grade. And I would just be standing outside and maybe it took them five days, if that, to ask me to come in the car because it was cold outside. And that went on from seventh grade through probably 10th or 11th grade until we moved to the Valley. And I don't know that she knows this, but her family really, they made me feel so safe and comforted. And it really made me have such a strong connection for the black community and how willing they are to help others. And there was no, there wasn't a question of like, why doesn't your mom stand out here? They, you know, her mom saw that this kid was sitting out in the cold and she was like, get in the car. And I was not going to say no to her. And I got in the car. <laughs> and that was such an, you know, and, and I could tell you a million stories like that of how, how blessed I have been in my life because of relationships like that. And so now when I look at my kids, it's important for me to have these conversations. And it's also important to me to talk to them in a way that they don't feel like it's their fault because there is a part of this message right now where it's, and, and I understand why, because there was 400 years of this, right? And it was white supremacy that got us here. But now it's my job as a parent to, to raise children that know what their role is in all of it. They're not responsible for others. They're responsible for themselves. However, part of being responsible for yourself means that if you're feeling icky about somebody getting mistreated nearby, you got to speak up. And this is how you do it. 
Right. And, that, and that's good. That's that's an incredible foundation to set. You know what I mean? And I've been very fortunate that growing up with my father there, we never knew anything about race or color because my dad was good to everybody. Like everywhere we right. went, my dad knew somebody. He was friendly with people and all he ever taught us. And I thank him so much for it was to be yeah. respectful. You know what I mean? Respect everybody, understand how hard people work. And you know, when That's you're right. out there, you represent this family and, and don't embarrass us. You know what I mean? And it was, yeah. those, you know, th- and those things, <laughs> those are great principles. Yeah, And I was rooted in those. And I, and I give those same things to my boys, but there was also other, you know, angles and things that I don't agree with. You know what I mean? So that is my job to, you know, learn, you know, what doesn't need to get passed on, you know what I mean? Because it's just some things, you know, not his fault, not anybody's fault. It it was a different time. But now, you know, I have to think about the future. I have to think about what's going to be here for my children. Because that's, for me, that's all I'm here for these days. Now, don't get me wrong. I love my life. And you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm very happy. But it's all for my kids. This is all for my kids. Like my only mission on this earth is to set them up and take care of them and keep them as safe as possible, you know? So it's great to, you know, to hear that there's so many more of us just like you and I that are doing the same thing because right now there's a harsh narrative being pushed down our throats. It is. And it's a hard, it's a hard time to raise kids. It's a hard time because you can't, you know, I couldn't shield them from the pandemic because it's all around them. And ironically, we didn't have, um, we had shut down our cable service, but they went, they like talked to a little friend that told them about things that were happening. And we had already had some of those conversations. And so I couldn't protect them all the way. And then I thought, what am I protecting them from? You know what has stayed very close to me during this whole time with all the civil unrest? I've I've been trying to look at things from the point of view of a black mother. Because, you know, when we were teenagers, I remember there were many a times when we would get home and my mom was sitting outside smoking a cigarette because she was nervous about what we had gotten into. Like she couldn't sleep, right? And I we didn't have, we I might have had three run-ins with the police when we were kids. And it was never anything that I can even tell you, oh, that was such a traumatic experience for me. Right. I can't, I, I don't, I don't know why. I mean, I could tell, I could tell you different theories, but I, I didn't have that experience. My brothers did. You know, my brothers can tell you many stories of when they were harassed by police, but I couldn't tell you that story. So for me, I just had to share a different kind of, like that was not my experience. So I had to, you know, I had to, so going back to what I was saying, I've, I've been very much rooted in the, I could not even fathom having to tell my 10 year old son how he needs to walk down the street in the event that there's a police officer. I, I, it breaks my heart. And so because of that, I feel very responsible for speaking up, for saying we all have to do better. And it doesn't mean we all have to agree on shit. It means that every human being is worthy of telling their story, period. That's it. And just because they feel that way or I feel this way doesn't mean that we're taking away from each other's story. Right. You get me? 
No, I know exactly what you mean. And that's my biggest thing. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's why I'm having these conversations. That's right. And I don't need to agree with everybody that's on here. I don't need to disagree with anybody that's on here. What I need to do is share my platform with other people so that they can say exactly what they want to say and in a safe place where someone's here to listen, you know what I mean? And it's not just me. There's other people listening, you know what I mean? And it's it means a lot that you would come on and do this and, you know, share your story and just to hear the things you've been through. I mean, I know that we've only scratched the surface. I mean, you're a fucking warrior. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's easy, though. It's very easy for someone you know, to walk past you on the street, you know, especially in the current climate to say, look at this bitch. She, she doesn't know uh, shit. She, you know, and that's not yep. me. That just say, I mean, I'm in, I'm the bad guy. No, so don't, uh-huh. yeah. so, you know, look at no, this bitch. She don't know. She don't look know nothing about struggle. Innocent. What does she, she think she knows? Right. That's right. Right. Like, she don't know nothing about struggle. She probably had everything handed to her. She's married right. with kids. You know, she don't know loneliness. She don't know none of that. What do you say to that person? You know, what I would say to that person is that everybody has a story to tell. So it's less about me not knowing it. It's more about amplifying their voice. Right. So why does it, you know, whether I know or not, I'm here to listen to your story. Because we're, human beings are human beings. You know, we talk, like, so much, so many things change, but so many things stay the same. You know, the Lauren Hill song, like, everything is everything. Everything is everything. And so in that moment with people that say, I don't know shit, I don't, honestly, I'm 41 years old. I don't have shit to prove, period. <laughs> right. I know what my problem is. So that's, you know, that's all, that's what I would say. And also what I would say is I, I don't have to prove anything. What I am really interested in knowing is what's your story. Right. See, the thing is that we walk through life and when we see people's behavior, we get so mad at it. Mm-hmm. And we're like, what's wrong with them? That's the first question we ask. What we should be asking is what happened to them. And if you change the way you look at things, the way you look at things will change, right? It's one of my favorite quotes from Maya Angelou. And and it's true. If I walk around judging everybody, what the fuck am I going to get out of that? Why does it matter to me? It's their life. But instead, if I really try to, if I ask myself what happened to them, then now I'm trying to understand their journey. And if you lean into that, if you try to understand other people's journey, you're always going to be amazed if you just shut up and listen. Right. I, I mean, that's, I, I stand behind that so hard and that's a big part of, of who I am. You know what I mean? And, and again, yeah, we're not perfect. You know, it's easy for no. me to say this right now, but let a motherfucker cut me off and see if I don't I'm, step on the gas a little bit. You know what I mean? But, but I, I'm also in those moments I've learned, Hey, dickhead there's kids at home that need you there's a wife at home that needs you you need to put that blinker on slow the fuck down and get over and and that's it you know what i mean and again we all struggle i'm not perfect but i I approach things different whereas if somebody would have come at me you know and don't get me wrong you're not just gonna walk up to me and disrespect me because i'm not the one but i'm just saying you know if you if i if i recognize a situation and i see somebody's you know i can just tell they're agitated I'm not going to, you know, then wonder why this guy just bumped my shoulder when he walked past me or whatever. You know, I'm just going to recognize yeah. the situation and say, look, obviously he's, you know, in a bad place and I'm just going to remove myself. You know what I mean? And that's that doesn't make me a bitch. That doesn't that makes me a man. And I'm just you know what I mean? I'm concerned with 
the people that I love and what they think about me. I'm not concerned if a stranger walks past me and says, That's hey, right. you're a piece of shit. Okay, well, you know what I mean? Uh, I don't feel that way yeah. about you, but, you know, handle it. Right. Like, I don't have time for it. I don't have time for it. Like, if you don't want to rock with me, then, I mean, keep it moving. I'm not going to. That's right. I'm not going to slander you. I'm not going to tell people that you're this and that. We just, you know, you go left and I go right, man. And that's it. And I think, you know, really the, at the core of all of this is just people want to feel fucking human, man. People want to feel yeah. human. And it's 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 very simple. You know, when you go really somewhere, is. when you go to a new place and you see five kids hanging out, and you're in the corner by yourself, it, you feel sick, you feel numb, you feel tingly, like this is the worst place ever. So when somebody says, hey, man, come sit with us, it will change your fucking life. Why? Because you feel accepted, and that's all anybody wants. A hundred percent. It's one of the most basic human needs is the, the need to belong, the need for affiliation. And that's what this is about. And that's what it's been for all communities you know, in this country and there's a history of racism in this country. And if people are doing their, you know, their work and their research and really, really talking about the shit, that's the, the facts, then they would know that, that there's a history in this country of, of not, of people not feeling like they belong and not being seen. I was watching a 30 for 30 the other day on Bruce Lee and it was, you know, I didn't, I didn't know Bruce Lee was born in San Francisco and then he, I guess he was going back and forth. And then when he got back, he was trying to get all these roles and he, they were just trying to put him in the box. And, you know, at the time there was, there weren't any Asians in leading roles in films. And, and one of the things that he was talking about was how he just wanted to belong. He just wanted to be part of a group. And that doesn't change, you know, how you walked into kindergarten is the same way you walk into situations now, you know? Yes, it is. A million, <laughs> a million percent. A million percent. Yeah. When you don't know, when you don't know anyone, you're still the kindergartner. And so what are we doing instead of blaming and fighting each other? Cause that's not going to get us nowhere. I mean, think about the fights you have with, with your wife, with your loved ones. If you're both fighting, where do you get? Someone's got to say, you know, like somebody's got to cry uncle and say mercy. Right. Yeah. Right. It's, or else what? All, you're just going to be mad at each other the for the next three years. I mean, what's I, it going to be? Right. And so like this is you, we have a choice and and it's the same for mental health. I have a choice of making others feel comfortable about my mental health needs, or I have the choice of making myself feel better. And sometimes the two don't coincide. So sometimes if my family's feeling uncomfortable because I'm talking about mental health, my mental health, then do I stop talking about how I'm being affected or do I continue talking about it? Because that's what I need to say. You know, because that's that's what I need in that moment to feel like I'm connected to others is I need to tell everybody, hey, I feel like shit today. I don't always. But today I feel like shit. And that's okay. Yes. Right. If if I go off because I'm not perfect either. Right. I have good days and I have bad days. And I think, you know, the best thing that I could do for myself in those situations is be kind to myself and tell and remind myself that I tried and that I will try tomorrow to, to get it better, you know, to do better. Right. That's it. And so what have you seen or what have you found to be, you know, it it sounds like you've put in a lot of work, which I respect, you know, because it it takes it takes a lot of bravery to recognize a problem and and attack it and, you know, really take the steps you've taken. So what have you found aside from therapy have been the best things in helping your treatment? Like for me, it's physical activity. You know what I mean? Like hitting new barriers, running a mile more than I could before, like 
fuck yeah, like that does so much more for my mental than my physical, you know what I mean? Because I'm proving yeah. that, that I'm, that I can push past pain. So That's what have right. you found to be like the best types of treatments when you're having an episode or, you know, when you're trying to come back from an anxiety attack? Um, if I'm trying to come back from an anxiety attack, um, it's a lot of grounding. So whether I get on the floor and lay on the floor flat right. and breathe, so breath work, um, there's a diffuser in my home. There's a diffuser in my office. I highly recommend it because you can actually change the way your brain is responding to something through your senses. And so a little peppermint oil goes a long way. Yes. Preach it. <laughs> you know, I yeah. carry, I carry it in my purse or some everywhere I am at it's close by. I hike not as much as I would want to, but I hike. Um, I would say the most important thing that I do though, is that I try to listen to things that are, that are, when I have extra reactions to things that I wouldn't, I wouldn't typically react to something. So I'm trying, I try to be very reflective and I do that through being still talking to friends, filling your cup, you know, for, for a Latina girl, you're always filling everybody's cup first. And so what I realized later in life is that I got to fill my cup first. So last week I was not okay. This week I realized I need to just sit on the couch and do nothing because there's also this feeling with the pandemic that you got to organize shit and do stuff because you got downtime, but you don't really have downtime. Right. You have the fucking pandemic to deal with. Right. No. And, and I'm, yeah, and, and I'm working from home, you know what I mean? And it's, that's what I, yeah. I'm working, I'm working nine hour days. Movie, easy. You know what I mean? Right. Easy. Oh. And that's, that doesn't just happen. I don't, you know what I mean? I don't just come here. Yeah. And, and, you know what I mean? It's not just automatic. Like I have no. to fucking do that. You got to put in the work. Yeah. And, yeah. I'm not, and that's why I don't, you know what I mean? I understand, you know, yes, a lot of the staff got cut. Yes, I'm still here. I understand. And, and I grasp all of that at the same time. My mental health comes first. So that's you better right. believe yep. when lunchtime comes, I'm taking my hour because yep. that's what I need to take to reset right. and finish strong. Yep. Because, yes, yeah. the work needs to be done. Yes, it's all scary. Yes. But if my head isn't in the right place, then none of it matters. Yeah. No, because you're not even going to do the work the right way. Are you going to make a mistake that exactly. you wouldn't have made if you were feeling better? So for me, it's about listening to my body. So when I notice certain reactions last week and I was running out of steam, I was like, I'm just, you know, I'm going to take the, I really need to take the week off. So I did. And then I told myself I didn't have to, you know, we just moved back into our home after the flood and there's boxes. I mean, they're, they're in places, they're in hidden places. Now we at least moved them out of, you know, the, the living room. Yeah. yeah baby steps, um, baby steps, baby steps. But I gave <laughs> myself the permission to not have to do everything. Right. Because how, had I done everything, then I was just going to run myself ragged and not rest and also not justify the shit you have to do for yourself. If what you need is to go out and, and, and do back to back boxing classes because you need that physical exertion, then do that. And you don't have to explain it to anybody else. And that's what I guess that's what I would say about mental health is that, yes, you can break it down for others. But I encourage everybody to own their story enough to when if others are critical it doesn't sway you. It doesn't change how, like what you're doing just because they don't agree with it. Right. And so for me, it was this week of laying on the couch and I even thought like, if my husband tells me one, <laughs> 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 not today, 
yeah, yeah. Um, I was like not about day. that life. Like that was not going to happen for him. But luckily this week started off with my birthday. So he just left me alone. Oh. And that's kind of where we've been at. And I've, but I've also been very vocal. And I think that's also a very important thing to do in this moment and not, you know, it's the pandemic, it's life, it's the civil unrest, it's everything. I think it's really important for you to ask for what you need. And there's no shame in that. Right. And and just like I said at the beginning of this, when, you know, when I, we're so used to as a society feeling put out when we ask for the smallest things, you know what I mean? I will literally, yeah. I will give you the shoes off my feet. I don't give a fuck, <laughs> but I am afraid to ask, hey, do you think you could do this little thing for me? Because I don't feel like, you know what I mean? I'm worth that much. And that's just the truth. Yeah, right. You don't, you're like, oh, I don't want to, exactly. You don't want to put him out. Like you don't want to inconvenience anyone. And that's the work for me. That's been my work is not feeling like I'm inconveniencing others, but really to own my story enough to be standing strong and say, this is what I need. And it's okay if you can't help me with that, but this is still what I need. Right. Right. What I needed this week was quiet and stillness. And it's okay if others wanted other shit, but this is what I needed. And so I'm not expecting others to get my needs met. I got to meet my needs because that's really where the work has been for me. Because when you grow up in a home where you don't get your basic needs met because your mother is engaged in a very severe domestic violence relationship and she's worried about probably living, even though she's never articulated that she never said, I'm afraid that I'm going to die. Right. But there's so much to uncover for her. But when she was going through that, then you can't take care of kids the same way you would if you weren't going through that situation. Of course. Yeah. And so then, so then how that affects generations, right? How that affected my generation is that we don't ask for anything. So we either are silent or violent. Yeah. And so I needed, I needed to find a way where I could speak the, speak my truth and not, feel bad about always with respect and compassion right. and not to hurt others. Right. Like one time my mom was like, why are you going to therapy? She was kind of mocking me about going to therapy. It was after I had my son and I was having, you know, a little bit of postpartum, which we also don't talk about. Right. A, a woman's body completely changes to accommodate life and doesn't go back. Like nothing goes back to normal. Not just only, you know, what you see, but also physiologically, Right. And so I was going, I was going to therapy as part of that kind of transition. And she kind of giggled because I dropped off the baby for her to watch him. And she was like, like, why are you going to that? <laughs> yeah. And I looked at her and I was like, huh, you should be lucky you're not paying for it. <laughs> and I, <laughs> but that was my, you know, I wasn't trying to be hurtful, but also I needed to set a limit. So she understood it's non-negotiable. I don't have to. I don't have to get your permission for going to therapy and it doesn't, you know, if you feel bad about it, that's okay. But I'm not responsible for carrying that for you. I'm not, I didn't say anything mean to you other than you must have, you know, you should have paid for it, which you should have. I mean, don't tell her I said that. <laughs> yeah, no, I won't. Your secret's safe with me. She'll, st she'll still kick my ass, but yeah, but it sounds you know, like, you know, I, you, you've made a lot of progress and obviously you've put in, a lot of work. So a lot of work, just yeah. to kind of wrap it up here, what, what do you say to someone right now that's in a dark place? They're in a bad place. And just like you and I have both been in and they're on the edge and, and you know, what do you say to them? Because 
you know, there was a time where I'm sure where you felt like, man, I don't know how much more I could take. And, you know, you're yeah. still here and, many- and you're fighting it. And the, the, yeah. the person that you are now 10 years ago, if they would have told you this is where you'll be, you probably would have said you're crazy. I'll be long gone. So what do you say to someone that's struggling and, you know, really in a place where they need to reach out? I would say baby steps. I think sometimes what what really overwhelmed me and made me go deeper into the dark place was feeling like I had to achieve a million other things and not achieve as in success, but like I have to do this, 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 and that, and all of, all of this has to be perfect. But instead, if I just thought about, okay, today, Carmen, you're going to get out of bed and you're going to take a shower because you've been in bed for three days. That's a baby step in the right direction. And a baby step looks different for everybody. And there's no shame in what your baby step is. But what's important is that you got to take the baby step because everybody's valuable. Everybody is of value. Everyone is, you know, there's no accidents in this world. Everybody is meant to be here. Everyone is a gift. And so if you believe that in your darkest of moments, I just need to take a baby step today because I matter. Even, even if you don't believe it that day, but you still make yourself just take the baby step, then it's amazing what happens as a result of that. Yes, it really is. It's incredible. And again, I just want to say thank you for taking the time out to do this. Um, I, it's just not something we take lightly, you know what I mean? Because time on this earth is so valuable and it's just really what we want to do is give you guys this platform to come on, share, you know, people from every walk of life to just see that, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, like you're saying, we all matter, man. We all just want to be accepted. We all just want peace. We all just want fairness. So is there any parting words you'd like to leave on or anything like that? Yeah, I I think I just, I just want to thank you for the platform. And aside from the platform, just really being courageous enough to put your story out there because these stories matter. You know, if I would have had somebody when I was a kid, have the, if I would have heard this conversation, I would have felt so much comfort. And I think that it's important for everybody to pay it forward. You know, you get some, you give some. And so I'm, I'm really happy to see you giving back and, and, and taking some for yourself, too, because you're important and you're a value and you matter. Well, thank you. That that means a lot to me. And, you know, you have our word that we're going to continue to do these. You know what I, I mean? Know it. And yeah. like I said, you props to you words. for being the first thank woman you. on the show. It, it was hey an honor. Now. You know what I mean? Woo-hoo. And by all means, feel free to come back Thanks anytime because, me. yeah, yeah, no, no, it was a pleasure. And, you know, these, yeah. these things, I always, oh, I have yet to have a single conversation that I didn't walk away from better. And I hope this was good for you. And I can uh-huh. guarantee you that it's going to be good for a lot of people. So. Thanks again. Thank you. Take care. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you soon. Thank you. See you next time. everybody another great conversation we thank you so much for taking the time to listen we hope to see you again soon follow us on instagram at put the stress down podcast find us on twitter at ptsd pod